All right. Are you ready to go this morning? Yeah, good, good, good. We are beginning that, what Michael just talked about, Romans chapter 8, going verse by verse through it. We're going to look very closely at it. It has become one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And uh, part of the reason for that is, is because it describes so much. It helps us understand our faith, and it helps us actually live out our faith, see what it means to actually do that. And so I'm excited about us getting into that. I know that for me, when I had almost given up hope and lost it, it was Romans chapter 8 that encouraged me to stay the course. And I hope that's going to be the same for you. We're going to just look at just the first four verses today. And if you have your Bibles, you can open them up and follow along. It'll also be on the screens. Uh, and we'll take, just tackle the first four verses. Romans 8, starting with verse number 1. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. I'm going to hold it there a second. Just want to give you a little quick backdrop on that. The law of the spirit of life, that would be the law that Jesus came to, to bring, the new covenant, has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law that says you have to live this way, you have to live a perfect life, or else you will not be able to step into eternal life and into a relationship with God. It sets you free from that. Verse number three. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So he came, so that Jesus came and lived a perfect life, so he was able to condemn sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In other words, in order that we don't have to try to do it all right ourselves, but can lean on his righteousness, who walk, those of us who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So that's kind of the, what we're going to be looking at this morning. May, may the Lord bless the reading of his word to your hearts, to your minds, and to your spirit. Amen? Amen. All right. Michael Breezen was in a hurry. Michael was distracted. He had so much on his mind. He had so many things going on. Uh, he was preoccupied by things, and he was in a rush to get home. He, he was jumped in his car and had stuff going here, there, and, and everywhere, and, and fired it up and started to get on the road. And as he did, he noticed that the people who were coming opposite him were flashing their lights and or honking their horn or waving at him. And he thought, what in the world is going on. Why are these people doing that? He actually had a flash of irritation kind of wash over him at the obnoxious way that people were, were acting about him. He, he didn't realize what was actually taking place. Not until he hit about 55 miles an hour on the highway when all of a sudden he heard this long scraping sound coming down the roof of his car and then he heard this big thump and felt something bounce off the trunk. He looked in his rearview mirror and in horror realized it was the baby carrier that had gone up in the air, hit the highway behind him. He slammed on his brake, pulled over to the side of the road, jumped out of the car and ran back to see if his baby boy, Jason, was all right. Miraculously, he was. 
And Michael fell down on the ground next to Jason, wrapping his arms around the carrier and all. And as the relief and the guilt and the everything else went over his mind, he just began to sob uncontrollably. That didn't keep a passing officer from pulling over and writing him up. It didn't keep the newspaper from writing an article about it. Nor did it keep a reporter from interviewing his wife, Miriam, who showed amazing forgiveness and understanding. She said, it's so unlike him. Michael really is a good father. You know, there's part of us when we hear that true story that thinks, what in the world was wrong with that guy? Guy, thank you, thank you. What was wrong with him? What was he thinking? We, we, we just can't hardly believe it. But, but for some of us, there is a, another part deep inside of us that realizes, you know, I have made mistakes myself when I've been distracted and preoccupied and in too much of a hurry and not paying attention. I've made the kind of mistakes. Sometimes I've actually made some really dumb mistakes intentionally as I look back on my life. And we realize that it is part of being human, isn't it? Michael admitted his wrongdoing. He confessed his error, but he was still condemned by the police, by the newspaper, and by others who were offended by his actions, who still condemned him. Interestingly enough, not by his wife, Miriam, who forgave him and didn't condemn him. Through that experience, Michael came to understand that condemnation actually enslaves us, but forgiveness frees us. Condemnation enslaves us, but forgiveness frees us. I believe that's why the Apostle Paul began right here in Romans 8 verse 1 where he said, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul, you know, was a biblical hero, right? I mean, he, he bursts onto the scene as Saul, a Pharisee who lived to do everything right, knew the law backwards and forwards, understood. He knew the first five books of the Bible by heart. That's the kind of guy he was. He was very, very intellectual. And then he ends up meeting Jesus face to face and has an immediate conversion from being a Pharisee who actually was killing Christians thinking he was doing God a favor. And now he becomes Paul, who represents Christ everywhere he goes. He defended the faith in front of governors and, and religious leaders and even Caesar himself. He suffered terribly for Jesus, but continued the faith with a great attitude. And much of the New Testament is actually comprised of letters that he wrote to the Christian church, to the new Christian churches that were popping up around the area. And so we call those letters books of the Bible. And uh, the letter that we are looking at right now, chapter 8 of Romans, was a letter written to the Christians in Rome. And so we can kind of get that picture. And by the way, just for an interesting uh, little side note, the, the letters weren't written with chapter and verses like we have today. That's done so that we can easily find kind of where about it's at in the letter. And in fact, right now, as we look at this particular uh, part of what Paul was talking about, it's incumbent on us to kind of go back in the letter a little bit to see what he was talking about. Because he said, there is therefore 
now no condemnation. We have to ask, therefore, what, what the therefore is there for. Why, why is that therefore? What, why is he saying that? What validates the statement that he's about to make? And so when we go back in chapter 7, we can see what validates him saying, there is therefore no condemnation. And here's, I want to read it to you from actually from the message uh, uh, paraphrase because I think it'll give you a feeling of Paul's energy, of, his, of how he was feeling about this. Romans 7, I'm going to start in verse 15. Here's what he says. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more, for I know the law but still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I cannot do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Do you sense Paul's frustration with his own behavior? He, earlier in the letter, he made it clear that, that no one is sinless, including himself. Early in the letter, in, in chapter 3, verse 23, he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what he's saying is every person fails and is a sinner on their own. Paul's saying it's clear that this is what it is. And you can sense his frustration about not being able to, to solve the problem on his own and to live perfectly right on his own. I don't know if you've ever felt like you've been trying like crazy to do everything right and it just doesn't seem to work. You, you keep messing up. I mean, the truth is this, gang. Trying to live right without Jesus leads to frustration. Trying to live right without Jesus just leads to frustration. Frankly, if it stopped right there, if, if the gospel message stopped right where we just stopped with Paul's frustration, it frankly would not be good news, would it? I don't think it would be. It'd be depressing. It'd be disappointing. It might be real, but it wouldn't be really good. But it didn't end there. In fact, what Paul followed up with his question, the question, remember, he finishes, is there no one who can do anything for me? Here's the solution he gives in verse 25, chapter 7. The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. So Paul was saying, I, I'm getting pulled this way to do something different, but, but Jesus has come and he has set things right. He is the answer to solving this dilemma that I have within inside of myself. And Paul is saying it has absolutely nothing to do with how good we can live or even how good we can look. He said there's only one person, 
one person that can do anything for us, and his name is Jesus. He's saying it's in Christ Jesus that we are redeemed and justified. Justified means made right. So that we're redeemed, we're paid for, and we're justified, we're made right before God. So he actually finished in that uh, when he talked about how we're all sinners in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He went on to say, and are justified or made right by his grace as a gift, by what Jesus did for us. Through the redemption, the fact that he paid the price for our sins, that is in Christ Jesus. So he's done that for us. The amazing thing about what Jesus did for us is that it was done before we even thought about being good enough. That's just amazing to me. It was done while we were still selfishly living our own lives of sin. And, and we know that because earlier in the same letter in Romans 5, 8, Paul said, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul wanted us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this teeter-totter of right and wrong, the answer to it is Jesus and is only Jesus and what he has done for us when we didn't deserve it. But it's also Jesus because, because of what it means for us. It means that because of what he did, there is no condemnation. Not for us who are in Christ Jesus, and that's why Paul starts chapter 8 that way. Man, when you begin to think about the fact, you mean what? There's no condemnation for me? Oh my goodness. That is such a freeing thought. That is such a freeing feeling. It's not about what I do. It's about who I know and the relationship I have with him. Oh my goodness. Because of him who loves me, I can't be condemned? Wow. I, I, I can't do anything except, except accept him to earn that, but then I get that? Oh, my goodness. And so, so Paul just pounds that into us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is God does not condemn us. God does not condemn us. That's an amazing and freeing thought if we are in Christ Jesus. And the reason that's so important is because, I don't know about you, but for me, a thousand times, in a thousand different ways, I've tried to live by the standards of the Bible, by the standards that God lays out, and I find myself falling short. Anybody else find yourself falling short of living according to the standards of the Bible? Yeah, yeah, thank you for those of you who are truthful. The ones who didn't raise their hands are liars, but that's okay. Uh, there's hope for you too, grace. <laughs> oh man sometimes we feel what Paul Paul word use the word wretched sometimes I feel like stupid wretched filthy all those different things but then Paul is saying listen you're not alone but he if you know Jesus if you are in Christ Jesus there is no condemnation for you he's taken care of that the price has been paid and Paul points out that that struggle is going on in every human being and when we try to win with our own strength we only get frustrated we only come up short and we only begin to look at ourselves as negative then 
But the greatness of the promises of God is that even when we fail again, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means, friends, there is security in our relationship with God. Oh, there is great security in our relationship with Jesus. If we are in Christ Jesus, we don't need to wonder if God is angry with us because He has said there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus, you don't need to fear because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When God looks at you, He doesn't see a wretch. He doesn't see a sinner. He sees His child. And there is no condemnation for his child who is in Christ Jesus. When your internal self-talk starts to make you feel condemned and make you feel less than God's called you to be, you need to remind yourself there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when other people weigh into your life, and begin to condemn you and make you feel less than God has created you to be. They condemn your weaknesses. You need to stand up and say there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's me. When your broken past condemns me in my forgiven present, I need to remember there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We'll come back to what the in means in just a minute. But first, I want to ask this question, if, which I'm sure is going through some of your minds. Cliff, if there is no condemnation, then why do I feel condemned? Why do I feel condemned sometimes? Where does condemnation come from? You say, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but, but I feel condemned sometimes. Well, here's where it comes from. Condemnation comes from Satan, the devil. That's where it comes from. Satan is actually, the word Satan actually in Hebrew is, means accuser. So he's the one who accuses us, both to God and to ourselves. He wants to make us believe that we are wretched, that we are unfit, that we are so wrong that God would have nothing to do with us. You know what his ideal position is to get you and I in? He wants to get you and I in the same place that Adam and Eve were in after they sinned. Ashamed ashamed. So much shame and so much being ashamed that we do like Adam and Eve and we hide from God. And sometimes when we screw up, that tends to be our tendency, right? We don't, we, we, it's almost like we can pretend God, God doesn't know it. So we're going to hide from God. We're going to ignore him. Isn't it interesting that when God created Adam and Eve, it says, and they were naked and knew no what? Shame. They knew no shame. So in perfection, we know no shame. Jesus comes and paid the price for our sins. We no longer have to have shame. The price has been paid before God Almighty. And so you don't have to have it on yourself, and please do not put it on other people. Towards the end of this chapter in Romans chapter 8, and we'll get into that more later, but uh, verse 33 to 34, Paul writes, Who shall bring any charges against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn? And what he's really saying is a, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is obvious. No one can condemn us because God has justified us, Paul is saying. But the truth is, we've all failed. We've all 
kicked ourselves and felt condemned and we've hidden ourselves from God and turned away, not because we don't love Him, but because we are ashamed. And Paul starts out this such an important chapter to say, listen, it's so important for you to get this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's the devil who condemns us. Here's the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us. It's important to see the difference. The, the devil condemns us. The Holy Spirit convicts us. Condemnation is usually feeling guilty over confessed sins. You've already confessed the sin. You've already dealt with it. But the enemy won't let you forget it. He brings it back to your mind. He makes you feel lousy about it. He keeps on coming back to you. And Paul is writing this to the Christians in Rome, the new Christians, to say, I know you've messed up plenty of times in your life, but you need to understand that when you feel condemned, you've got to remind yourself of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And there is no more condemnation on you anymore. And boy, the enemy loves to do that, doesn't he? I know people who have, who have done this, what they consider a heinous sin at some time in their life, and they're still dealing with it now years and years and years later. They cannot let it go. And the reason they can't let it go is because they haven't really begun to say, Lord, you've got to help me. Just, just, you've taken care of this. You hung on the cross and you paid the price for this sin, this terrible sin that I committed. So I am no longer condemned by that sin. Don't let me live like that. Let me live free from that condemnation. Now, conviction is feeling guilty over unconfessed sins. And the Holy Spirit, He's the one who convicts us. Conviction is healthy. The result is we come to God and say, oh God, I did, I, forgive me for that. And what does he do? He cleanses us and he heals us from that. So man, when you are being convicted by the Holy Spirit, listen to it, lean into it. Ask him to show you those things so you can confess them, so he can begin to heal you, so he can cleanse you from those things. Listen to it. Condemnation, on the other hand, does not offer you a way out. Condemnation degrades you. Do not listen to it. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul knew that we tend to act according to what we believe we are. Hmm? You, you believe something about yourself and you tend to begin to act that out in your life. And I think that's why it's so important that if we want to break the power of bad habits in our lives, if we want to break the power of sin in our lives, we need to say, Lord, would you show me how you see me? And then now let me see myself how you see me, how you created me to be perfectly designed and created by you, how you see me with no condemnation because I am in Christ Jesus. We have to make a choice here, friends. We've got to choose. Choose to believe God, not the enemy, not the devil. Oftentimes when those things come to us, even your own unhealthy self-talk, mm, I, 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 can, I can find myself sometimes with my own conversation in my own head. You know what I'm saying? I can, have a, I can really rake myself over the coals. And then I stop and say, wait a minute. Who said that? Who's telling me that? That doesn't come from God. Ah, now I need to change my self-talk and say, God, would you show me 
how I, the self-talk I ought to have directed by you for myself, because of Jesus, you are not condemned. I think it's very interesting that Paul didn't start out this thought process by declaring the good news that there is no condemnation. No, he started out by declaring the bad news, by saying that in our natural state, every person is guilty of sin and condemned to death in our natural state, for the wages of sin is death. So in our natural state, we're getting what we deserve, death apart from God. The bad news, friends, is that everyone outside of Jesus Christ will suffer the consequences of their sin. They will die separated from God. And separation from God is what the Bible calls hell. And it really would be hell, right? Being in a place without anything good because God is a, comprises everything good. But the good news, the good news is that God made a provision for us he made the provision for us to come into Christ and his desire, his will is that every person, every person would come into Christ. But God does not force his will on anyone, on no one. He gives us the right to choose free will. Freedom from condemnation only comes through a relationship with or in Jesus Christ. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you will not know true freedom. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you will know condemnation. We can actually have a relationship with Jesus and still feel condemned. We have to remind ourselves that we're not if we have a relationship with Him. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, here's what's so important. He will not know you. Oh, he knows all about you. He created you. But he will not be in relationship, in a knowing relationship with you. Jesus himself said this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Wow. Scary, scary, scary piece of Scripture what Jesus said here. Listen, what he's saying is this. There are many people in the church and going to church that don't know Jesus, that are not in Christ. And Jesus makes it clear that these people are in jeopardy of eternal condemnation. The scripture is clear here that believing Jesus is real isn't enough. And knowing that he died for your sins, just knowing that intellectually, that's not enough either. Now, now some of you are sharp enough and you're thinking to yourself right now, wait a minute, Cliff. I, I know some scripture too. And I know John 3, 16, and it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What, what about that? Yes, what about that? 
Well, that believes is more than just believing he exists. It's, that believes actually infers a relationship with. So uh, the demons believe that he exists. Satan knows that he died for your sins and my sins. He knows that. But this believes that Jesus is talking about here in John 3, 16 is when we accept what he has done for us, when we believe he did pay that price and we accept that and confess the sins he's already paid for, then here's what happens. When we do that, if we do that sincerely, you cannot help but want to be in relationship with him. You cannot help that. You, you must, you are compelled to, if you understand what he has done for you, you cannot possibly really understand what he's done for you and not be compelled to say, I want to be in relationship with you. You have saved me. You have paid the price for my sins. You have done this incredible thing that I didn't deserve. The mercy you've shown me, the grace you've shown me. I want to know you and I want to know you better. I, I want to be in relationship with you. When we step into that place, our sins are transferred to his account. And his righteousness is transferred to us. It's the greatest exchange we could possibly ever have. It's an amazing exchange. We give up the worst part of us and we get this great thing that he has done for us and he says, thank you for the exchange. Now you're my child as well. And you get to be an heir along with all the rest of my children. So our agreement to accept what he's already done for us and his agreement to no longer hold it against us, but to know us and for us to know him. And then he knows us. Our sins are nailed to the cross. In Galatians, Paul writes that this is it's faith that allows this. In Galatians 3.25, he says, but now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So it's through faith in who He is, in our relationship with Him. Can I tell you something? It's not as hard as we make it out to be sometimes. And it's not as hard as what, some, what people seem to want it to be. But the devil wants to keep us confused about this. Let me try to simplify it as much as I can. If someone asked you, if you have a relationship with Cliff, do you have a relationship with Pastor Cliff? There are some of you here today who would say, yeah, no question. You know right now, you just say, yep, I certainly do. And there are some of you here who would say, no, not really. I know him. I mean, I know that he's a pastor in our church right now and, and or I've watched him online, but I've never actually talked to him. But, uh, and so, no, I really don't have a relationship with him, but I know who he is. You see the difference between the two? There, are, there may be a few, but very few, who would say, well, well, I'm not sure if I do have a relationship or don't. And I would say, oh, but if you wanted to, you would know what to do to solve that, wouldn't you? This last week I went out to lunch with um, a friend, uh, uh, someone who had been an acquaintance. I knew his name. We both knew each other's name, but we didn't know each other, you know, really well at all. I... I uh, I had seen him and I, had, I just had kind of liked him, thought this guy's got a great spirit and, and he'd actually helped me with a few things. And so, um, uh, and then we had lunch together. And when we had lunch together, we shared life together. 
uh, some of my life and some of his life. We prayed together. And uh, you know what? Now I would tell you I'm in relationship with him. And I think he would say I'm in relationship with Pastor Cliff. Do you see the difference? So we have to say, Lord, am I in relationship with Jesus? Here's some questions that indicate if you are in relationship with Jesus. Do you talk to Jesus and listen to him and listen to him? Have you accepted what Jesus did for you and made him Savior and Lord of your life? Do you want to know more about him? Do you actually love him? Here's some clues that show you if you're not in a relationship with Jesus. If it's completely one-sided, it's probably not a relationship. If you connect with Jesus only because of what you want or what he can do for you, it's probably not a relationship. If you only speak to Jesus and you never allow him to speak to you, it's not a relationship. If you never have time for him, you never sacrifice for him, you never reach out to him, friends, it's not. It isn't a relationship. We choose, we choose whether to be in that relationship. We choose how important that relationship is to us. We choose who will guide our lives. We can live by our own standards and suffer the frustrations and condemnation. Or we can turn our lives over to God through faith, enter into that relationship with Jesus and receive the promise he has given us. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Truly, condemnation enslaves us. But forgiveness frees us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are uncertain where you stand today you can make that clear today you can know know that you are saved that you're forgiven that you are not condemned that that promise that Paul wrote about it and penned in the very first part of this Romans chapter 8 is for you there is no condemnation and if others try to condemn you or if you tend to want to condemn yourself don't listen don't listen to that. If you've accepted Jesus and you're in a relationship with Him, there is no condemnation. None. There isn't any for me because I know, I know I am in Christ Jesus. Do you? Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful for Paul's frustration about not being able to live life the way that uh, he knew you were calling him to. I'm so thankful that in his frustration he, he turned to you and saw the answer that he could share with us. That we could know unequivocally who you are and what you have done for us. And this morning, Lord, I'm praying for those here and those online who perhaps, as we've talked about this, have realized that they're not in relationship with you or that they've really taken that relationship very lightly. 
Lord, this morning I ask that you would convict them, Holy Spirit, to change that. To choose to say, Lord Jesus, I want to accept what you've done for me. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to start this thing in a way that, that I can know there is no condemnation for me because of what you have done for me. And Lord, as they pray that, would you, Holy Spirit, just let them know how real you are, how much you care for them, how much you love them, how much you've done for them. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that there is no condemnation for us because of what you've done for us. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.